welcome back to your regularly scheduled episode of I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things. Yes, the regularity means we get no novelty songs, no ridiculous introductions, <laughs> just straight to to normal facts and things. Um, I'm going to quickly introduce myself. Hello, I'm Stephen, and introduce, well, I'll let Vaughn introduce himself, obviously. Hi. It's me, I'm Vaughn. I'm back again. This is uh, slightly <laughs> different true. than we normally do things. I was like, I don't, I don't normally introduce myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I feel because, you know, there's no hierarchy here. We, we, we are equal true. co-hosts, and I feel like, you know. I'm just used to you throwing it's, it's, it's to me way. rather than presenting it to me to, true. to set, set it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, maybe that was worse. <laughs> you, present yourself. <laughs> Show yourself off like the trophy that you are. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a guest we manage to get every time, and we're amazed we can book him. Um, it is anyway, difficult. We've got a lot. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It is. Um, so, um, we've got quite a lot we want to talk about today. Um, we've got, realistically, three um, big movies that are going to get yes. exponentially bigger. Though, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll go big, small, big, I think. And by small, we mean medium, medium, large, realistically. Um, okay. Because Asteroid City is not a small movie. No, it's just compared to true. Mission Impossible yes. and Indiana Jones. It is it is small by comparison. Though maybe it's doing better than both of them. I don't really know. Though also, it's not done... I, who knows? The, the economics of film at the moment is confusing to me. It is very confusing. Um, because Asteroid City is now already out on digital release, which to me implies it didn't do well. Um, I don't, yeah, I feel like I don't know what anything implies anymore. There's such a lack of yeah. consistency that I don't really know what it, because I mean, The Flash is like the worst performing movie in in years relative to its budget, and yet it's yeah. still not out. Unless it is, and I just haven't noticed because it's I don't care. coming in an FT, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's Are right. they releasing it on the blockchain? Making it <laughs> even worse. Christ. Yeah, um, we 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 consider we um, continue to to not to not cover that movie in any capacity because yes. um, one I have no interest and two ethics. Um, but I would say primarily I have no interest. Um, speaking of ethics, um, we're going to um, start the podcast by um, alluding to something or directly addressing something. So at the moment we are recording during the um, WGA and SAG after. Um, First of all, really saying that out loud is like words that you read a yeah. lot and don't and type a lot, but don't really say. It doesn't really roll Sag-aftra. off the tongue. Um, yeah, ad astra, dad astra, bad astra, sag after. There you go. Um, my, my practice famous bit. Um, their writers, writers strike and acting strike, and obviously there has been a lot of conversation about what is the role of critics, cultural commentators within this, and you know, I mean. It's, it's, it's not really for us to say, but at the moment, until there are people with much better arguments to make and with more insight, um, we as film commentators are very separate from this and we are not part of the industry in that we are not part of studios or part of their marketing. Correct. Um, so therefore, what we do does not further the aims of studios and often actually goes against it. I think for um, <laughs> a lot of the conversation today, it's going to go against it. Um especially one of the films we'll be talking about. However, what we do need to mention of the three films you talk about, and this is irrespective of the quality that we find within these films, because we're not really wholly positive, but we're quite positive today. Um, these films are the combination of the genuine labour of writers, actors currently on strike. Um, all, all, all three of them will be so, um, because these are, you know, big acting um, ensemble affairs. Very much so. And every, every released movie that is coming out in a cinema is going to be some degree of union involvement because that's how it works because studios get pictures even if it's not a studio picture it's distributed by a studio and this is a a, a well unionized industry um, at least in this regard so um, it is worth noting that if it was not for the labor of these people this would not exist and i think i'm well for my rights 
to speak on behalf of this podcast and say that we at the Fingers Point Things podcast um, fully support um, the strike and the aims of it. That we and do. show solidarity to those who are trying to get um, reasonable working conditions, pay, and a better future. And to try and like fix a model that has been broken for these people um, to help people that do not need help and do not need further recompense and that are parasitically feeding off the labor of others. Yes, absolutely. We fully support their yeah. their efforts and will continue to cover films as we can until such time yeah. as they might request that we not. In that case, that would yeah, be a different I mean, there are some things. But... Um, for example, though I don't think we would anyway, but we would not cover Deadpool 3, for example, which uh, Ryan Reynolds has been on record saying that he's going to continue work on that despite it being the strike because he's claiming the loophole of they're not filming in the US or whatever. Oh, that's terrible. And well... That's absolute... I mean, this is something that's been said to me, so maybe I'm misreporting. Um, but reliable source, um, that being my wife, <laughs> so I presume she wasn't lying. She I think that's lots, fairly reliable. Um, so, I mean, I may have messed up the particulars, and I'm sure I have, and someone will be like, that's not quite right. But any um, film that is strike-breaking to get itself done, um, we'll make sure not to cover, um, because yes, said film should not exist, <laughs> certainly. Though, I'll be honest, I don't think we were going to cover Deadpool 3 anyway, so <laughs> Probably it's not really not. much of a miss not, there. Not high on the priority yeah. list for the rest of yeah, the year. Yeah, we, we have started to... <laughs> To, to skip a bunch of those kind of movies because there's, there's not much conversation there. Um, yeah, though I did see some people being like, generally, and this is the forum culture, being like, oh, I hope the strikes end because I want them to, to improvise in Deadpool. I'm like, I can't believe that is the straw. That, yeah. that, that, that's the thing for you. I want oh, Ryan Reynolds to, to, to look into the camera <laughs> and to say, this, not, chimichangas, that's what he says, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, now they can Deadpool. finally I... start pulling all of the writing ideas from Reddit comments that I want to write for Deadpool 3. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Clyde is going to write Deadpool 3. Um, there you go. So, um, before we get to the three movies today, which you'll know from the title, in fact, you may not know from the title. In fact, you know what? You'll know from the description. And you know what? Read the description yeah. because Vaughn writes excellent descriptions. I, I hope people so do. I have no movies. way of knowing. I think I did. They are ab- was it last week or maybe another episode that I I told people to write in if they read the description? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've gotten any emails I, yet. But. There was a podcast I used to listen to, and what they'd do is they'd say a thing at the end, and they'd like tweet this thing to, oh, to yeah. prove that you got to the end of the podcast. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. And it's always, always something utterly bizarre um so there you go um so steven what are we going to cover today what are we going to talk about so first of all i want to um bring an update updated impressions updated impressions <laughs> updated impressions so well, that's great editing work on that jingle you made there i, yeah, I don't know just about that. came back came back from seeing um across the spider-verse for the second time Ooh, revisiting um, because yeah and i hadn't seen it oh, okay. um because I saw it when I was away under the deal that I would watch it again with her, and then we'd just been busy and other and we're like we prioritise watching films we had so we watched Indiana Jones yeah. instead, blah blah. And now finally we're like, we're this movie's probably not gonna be in the cinema for much longer. I'm She's surprised it still is. Um Yeah. Um Emma really, really enjoyed it. I would say I liked it more um the second time. I I am it was already in the camp that it's really, really great. Yeah. Um I now further think that the first half an hour, I would say, maybe 20 minutes, the bit that ends the Gwen intro, I think, yeah. is practically perfect. I think that really, really I, it was even more even more stunned by it. With one thing that I'll get to, um, that is brilliant. And then the, the, the Miles introduction, reintroduction, including uh, up to that like, wonderful like, final fight against the um, 
spot dude and actually with Gwen coming back all that stuff is really really good and I think more of the movie is brilliant than I thought yeah um, and then when they get to spider society stuff I think it's a very good version of a film that I'm not 100% on board with mm. yeah that's totally is, fair is, is, is my final takeaway and Emma and I are of the opinion I think I was last time I can't remember if I said this before that the film should end a bit before it does that there is you know spoiling things there is that um, reveal at the end of being the prowler that would be a better way to start the next movie mm. and having him realise I'm in the wrong universe would be a better ending to the film it just feels right. like reveal than another reveal um, and it's also a lot of emotions that it wants you to feel a, a lot of time yeah, and yeah. those are different emotions um, and I think that's my impression now of at that point you're like he is the emotion of fear was him being lost alone and then him coming to terms of dad stuff uncle stuff that's a, that's that is an emotional shift right that kind of overshadows that um and there's really good cross-cutting um between the three different yes. universes with the color palette so you've got the um the red of 1610 you've got the green of 42 and you've got the trans flag colors of whatever number it is right. that, um, gwen is from and it cuts between those really nicely and it feels like they all reach a climax and the film continues a bit further in yeah, Greenland. It doesn't... That's very true, because there is that point of, like, you've got the the Prowler reveal, which is, like, this big moment of, like, dread, of, like, oh, like, yeah. there's this realization, and then there's, like, a quick transition to now we've got to have, like, kind of this triumphant hero moment to end yes. on, where she's reassembling yeah, right. the team, and it's like, those things are <laughs> a little bit incongruent. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are. It, like... It's better than what it would have been five years ago, which is the prouder reveal you'd wait for after the credits for. It does. It, it feels yeah. like a post-credit scene that they've just put in the film, which is the better way to put it. Um, but I teased with language I would not use in here a controversial opinion you did. on that you did. across the Spider Verse. So I am now sure that I've now watched the version with fixed audio. Okay. And here is my take: I prefer the broken audio version. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm just curious why. And I know that I am advocating for a less accessible <laughs> film, and that is bad. Um, but the opening was so, like, I love, love, love the film. And a reason why I really loved it is it felt so kind of, like, sonically overwhelming. Mm. Um, and I liked the fact that her drumming felt out of control and was, like, blinding everything out, and it felt very emotive. And... The opening gently like did not pack the punch that it did for the first time. Interesting. Oh, there's a like really discordant, and this is someone I'm, I am someone that quite likes noise music. Right. I like music. The amount of I put on a record, and I'm like, this is great. And I'm just like, that's just what is that? I'm like, it's great though, isn't it? It's just like this is just discordant, right. like weird stuff. And I'm like, yeah. So I just like just straight. I'm Peter Strickland esque in that way. If I like industrial noise music, um, which I know that, that Vaughn has a slight taste for as well. Um, I have a, so, a little bit. I can't do all of it. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, 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 you know, cl- clipping knows quite a bunch of that. Yeah. Um, gets into the, to that, and you know, that's that's where we we join on the clipping front. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I like this. I like this industrial <laughs> noise. Hell yeah! So that overwhelming kind of like really emotive, distorted drum work at the beginning just felt like it was just like covering up the rest of it, which felt generally emotive and expressive. And yes, it was because the sound design was broken, <laughs> but it also worked really well. And I, I and also I'm speaking from a point of like able privilege of. I could still discern the dialogue of all of the movie. I never at any point would have been like, I don't know what's being said. So it was just, it sonically worked for me as a a sonic aesthetic that didn't work as well for me when I felt the drums were a bit toned down and it felt more like a prosaic 
it felt more like a, a basic introduction of being like, this is my story. Where previously was like, this is my story. So even the accident felt more like a choice. <laughs> yeah, it 100%. Just, which I think makes sense. I think the problem is like, even if they had accidentally stumbled onto like, oh, this actually might be a better way to open it where it's like the drums are kind of drowning things out. Like I would, then it's like you should add subtitles even just for that scene of like, because that <laughs> Comic was... panels, yeah, which they do that elsewhere in the film. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really bother me the first time I saw the film, like the sound throughout, but that opening scene, I definitely remember like just the first few minutes, I was like, I just don't know what she's saying. And I would We're like... We're being like, this is bold and awesome. <laughs> like, which is fine if it is a choice, but to me, I'm like, this is clearly important <laughs> exposition that I am missing out on because I cannot yeah. hear it. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, maybe not super important, but it felt like I was actually <laughs> missing not. something. Um, you know? But yeah, but you, but you know, you yeah. don't know that when you're watching the movie. So the second time, I was like, oh, I actually, I, I, I missed the discordant, <laughs> just raucous racket that was the beginning of this film. Because I remember watching that for the first time, and they're like, I can't believe there is a film that feels this experimental and bold as a mainstream release. And then as it goes on more, I'm like, oh, I can, I can kind of believe this now. Yeah. And this is like, oh, now they fixed the audio, I can believe it even more. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't really an experiment. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't aiming to hurt my ears. <laughs> so there you go. Um, that's the updated response. Updated response. And now back to fresh, hot, new takes. Um, Shall we start with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Yes. I think I have the least to say about it. So <laughs> we can start with Indiana um, Jones. Yeah, I know we've got a question later about our, our view on the franchise as mm-hmm. a whole, so we'll hold that for later, I think. Um, just know that we are both pro Indiana Jones. Yes, um, I would agree with that. Yeah. Really great series. Um, I rewatched all of them in, in anticipation of this one, so I have updated impressions. I know that I spend my time stupidly and differently, so <laughs> i sort out new things more sensibly. Um, so I, I, when was But you've watched Raiders relatively recently, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I rewatched Raiders a couple weeks ago in anticipation yeah. of the film, but then I wanted to also watch Temple of Doom and um, The Last Crusade. Didn't have any intention of rewatching Crystal Skull, but... Um, so I thought you said Last Crusade I didn't have any intention of rewatching. I was like, no. why? And then <laughs> I would love to rewatch yeah. Last Crusade. Yeah, so I, well, slightly spoiling the answer later. So I rewatched Crystal Skull being like, you know what? Last time I saw this, I was maybe 15 and it was at the cinema and that was a long time ago. Um, maybe I will be one of the people that goes, actually, it's pretty good. The movie still absolutely sucks. I, yeah, really, I really don't like it at all. I haven't watched it recently, recently, but I did watch it a couple of years ago and I was like, yeah, this is still bad. I just don't like this. Yeah. I, so... Yeah, the new movie, which I also think absolutely sucks. Mm-hmm. And th- let's have the interesting conversation. So I was trying to. So Emma and I were talking about it. Emma, I think, likes it more than I do. Okay. Um, but we both agree that it's not very good. Um, and then it comes to the quite boring conversation, but also somewhat worthwhile of. So which is better of the bad movies? And my take is that Crystal Skull is a better made, worse movie. Okay. Um, this isn't as well made, but the movie itself might be better. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even think I would agree with that. I think Crystal Skull... I, I don't like either of them, to be clear, before I say this, but yeah. I think Crystal Skull is better in, in all respects. I think Crystal Skull has more just, I think, pure entertainment value. Again, still not a good movie, oh, I, but I think there is more entertainment. to it. I watched it again recently. I, and maybe, right, maybe I would feel the same. Um, I mean, there's... It's still Spielberg, right? So, like, there's still Spielberg yeah, flair, yeah, which I there think... There's stuff in it that makes really, a lot really of cool. difference. 
Yeah. And I and I do feel that the filmmaking does rise it above, which above, which is why I do think that this new one is the worst of the franchise. Um, but maybe like as a film outside of directorial vision, I think there are there are parts of Dove Destiny that are more promising. There is a whole sequence of Dove Destiny that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I would love to hear that because I don't think I can say that. <laughs> oh man, there's one bit that I was well okay, he, let's overall take Dove Destiny. Here's my overall take okay. of there is a film in here that is something different and therefore something interesting. Okay. And Mangold and Co. are so overwhelmed by the need to invoke classic Indiana Jones, mm. they keep going back to pale imitation. And every time it's imitating, it's so dull to me. And the more interesting... There is a film within this film that is about what does it mean <clears throat> to grow old and to be forgotten? And sure. for things to li- to live on past us, there is a thematic film there. And what does it mean to reckon with our past and how our past creates the future in an archaeological and thematic way? And you can see the bits of this film that are that. Yes. And then you very, can really feel they, have the com- they don't have the confidence to make that. So they just string in, yeah. here are three very clean Indiana Jones set pieces that all harken back to a previous film, because that's what you want. And straight spoilers, straight away, the bit that I like, and I wish was actually the film... Okay. The going back Archimedes stuff, I was like, this is bold and interesting, and you know what? That would be really cool. If that was about an hour in, and the film actually went from there, of Indiana Jones actually in ancient Greece, okay. and that is what we're doing, that's an interesting... Maybe it's not good, but that's bold, and that's different. That I would agree with, because I, I, I think that last sequence is terrible, but... It's hilarious, I, <laughs> I mean, yes, you're right. I think, like... But I think you're right. If they had done the time travel stuff at the beginning and established mm. that as like, we're just doing Indiana Jones, but now it's literally in the past, like that I would be okay with because that yeah. sounds cool to do like actual yeah. like period piece Indiana Jones, but like it's stapled onto the end as the sequence. It's just like, I could not stand it. I, I, I did genuinely really enjoy it as a stand <laughs> Sequence, a lot of people, a lot the, of people like it. So I mean, maybe I'm wrong. The bit I didn't enjoy, and I spoke to our good pal Rainier about this, and being like, "Let that man die in ancient Greece. He wants to die in ancient Greece." I kind of let agree. Indiana Jones hang out of like it should be. Yeah, like what what has he got in 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 the present in the future apart from forcing a relationship back onto him that they already cut off? At the, that's that really annoyed me. Of so Crystal Skull ends with that that marriage, right? Yeah, and then this film makes the marriage fail just so it can just have it at the end, but then doesn't even motivate a build up to them getting back together at all. It's just like, well, yeah. we know that the marriage failed, and now it said, oh, but they're back together by the way. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like if they had just, I agree. Let him let him die in Greece. It's so much like yeah. And again, like I'm watching that, and I was like, oh, this is dumb that he wants. But like again, that would be a choice, and I could respect that yeah. a lot more than like, all right, now we have to we got to revive him and. Okay, then she finally comes reason. back, and it's just like, but, right, but why? Like, this isn't the send-off that you think it is, I don't think. Yeah, the, <laughs> the strong implication that he puts on his hat for sex. <laughs> well, the, that's that's good, the way, that's the way they end right. the movie. You're very right. Oh, yeah, Which, it's um, just... Yeah, I just could not get into any of it. Like, I... I I went. Yeah. I mean, I want to like it, of course. Like, who doesn't want to like a new Indiana Jones movie? And mm. I like yeah. James Mangold. you like James Mangold. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was anticipating it and, like, kind of like... I don't dislike James Mangold, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I think no, it's worth like... talking about. Um, what, so what else has he done that I've seen outside of 
Ford versus Ferrari or Le Mans, whatever it's called. I uh, forget Logan. what the movie's actually even called because it's got Logan two names. Was... And Logan. He did the 310 to Yuma remake. Did not see. Oh, he did? Have not. Did one of the other... He did Girl Interrupted, which I have not seen. Haven't oh. seen that myself. Um, let's see. I'm probably forgetting something. I think he also did... Oh, let's see. Uh, yeah, the Wolverine, the 2013 Wolverine movie. Uh, not good. Uh, Walk the Line, I have not seen. Oh, I have seen that. Um, it's okay. Uh, identity? I don't even know what that is. <gasps> Wait, which identity? Uh, 2003. Let's see. You oh, have, I've seen that. You have I've seen, seen that movie. You don't have a positive yeah, that's score not... on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good movie. <laughs> that is a classic what if, what if the twist of horror was mental illness movie. Um, <laughs> Yes, I've not, I've not seen that movie since watching it on DVD a long, long, long time ago, but it's not good, James Mangold. So, yeah, I, I'm not a big Logan fan. Okay. I don't dislike Logan at all. I remember watching Logan, finding so much of it to be silly, and my takeaway was this was a really good, like, genre movie hmm. when it could have been, like, a really good movie. Um, oh, okay. And it still felt a bit silly in the wheelhouse, it, it, which is very subjective of me. Like, there are things in here that are just genre tropes that I'm just not that into right and it was seemingly posturing beyond that but then because like little things that annoyed me <laughs> so there's like there's a point where a character like holds up a video do you remember this bit and it's like the video of like Wolverine escaping or something or like is it X-23 escaping oh and in yeah, my head yeah. I'm like at what point did you get this footage edit it and like put it together in this slick way like what, what <laughs> right. is going on here like all of this like different security cam footage how did you find this where did you put it like what have you what have you there was too much stuff like that and yeah, I'm thinking it's always just like also meaning this how much is not working for me. Right? How much are you willing to like suspend disbelief and like does it hit a point of just like now I'm looking for all the things that seem like yeah. they're out of place and yeah. So, but the the old man theme of Logan has definitely become the true. the James Man old um, <laughs> theme of choice, which is why he is picked for this. Clearly, that's why. Um, but do it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's 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 you're you're absolutely right. It is too much trying to be Spielberg, and there is thoughts of a Mangold movie mixed into it. But it's trying so hard to do the Spielberg thing that it can't do either of them well, and it just kind of all falls flat. Yeah, a, a bit that Emma liked, and I actually quite agree, is there was a a, a good throwaway comment of Antonio Banderas, who's always. Always great. I was. I, I, I had I, no idea he was in it. I was totally shocked to like see yeah, him show same. up, and, and I was and, like, "Cool, I like him." <laughs> enjoyed him, and he and that scene as like a a set piece is not bad. No, um, that bit's totally fine. It gets a bit silly towards the end, and it also feels a bit completely superfluous. Um, but there is a a nice bit where they're all like joking and japing, and people at Bridges' characters joking and japing, and then it's just like, "Yeah, one of my friends literally was just murdered, so can we chill for a bit?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, actually." That, that, but then, like, <laughs> that's the same scene where, like, five seconds later, Indy is just like, later, no Indy cares. just goes, yeah, Mutt died in Vietnam. And I'm like, what? And then they just move on. And I'm like, this is, okay, what? <laughs> he did he did talk about that earlier, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I struggle to talk about it. Because it's just like, they were left with a very clear ending right. of Crystal Skull that then... History has played out a certain way that you don't want to deal with any of those no, parts. No, there's no way and to do that nicely. Like, so it's like there's it's lose lose really. But like I feel like even the way they did it, I'm just like surely this could have been handled more eloquently. Yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, and the the opening sequence with de-aged Harrison Ford oh, looks looks terrible. I it's can't, scary. I hate it. It's terrible. But the argument that I'll make, and this is not for the movie, but okay. it's a good film argument we can make, is a thing I always say about Spielberg and M. Night Shyamalan to a degree, because I think that M. Night Shyamalan as a visualist, um, not as a filmmaker in general, sure. but as a visualist, is kind of like the next is a a, a Spielbergian figure. That's very, so you see that very much very much in his earlier works right. than later works um but actually i think you see it most in oh god what is it the um i probably won't know the the the, the car crash the, his alien movie signs signs yes i think signs is is him at his most bilbergian and six cents definitely is like because bilbo can get, can get pretty nasty um but the thing that i point with both filmmakers is they know exactly always where the right place is to put and move the camera and yeah. that's one of those things that how do you know it's the right place because it makes sense and how do you know it's the right place because you walk out of desk and you go oh that's n- oh that's not the right place yeah it's oh, that's just not what the camera should be it's just very visually ugly at pretty much mm. every turn there's not like and i mean yeah. even camera itself aside it's just the palette's just ugly it just it's just yeah brown like i was just like i just don't i don't like looking at it <laughs> um there is so Mission Impossible does this way better, um, and we'll get to that later, but they've got this kind of, like, factions in the background where they are, like, aligned together but not aligned. So you've got this one scientist, you've got the government men, you've got the CIA person. The framing of pretty much, like, the only speaking black character is, is really not great no, because they're just like, she, she could be interesting as someone that is within the system, realises the system is not doing what she thinks right. it is, and actually has a, a force there, and she's just just killed. Just like given such short shrift, yeah. And I think, and it's one of the more promising characters of the film. She's more interesting than the female bridge character. The female bridge character is just a. It's one of those again. She want one of those again? Like not really. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not good. And I believe I don't know if you saw this article, but there was even um, I believe her character, like when she died originally in the script, the the way that like the, her final line delivery was apparently something that was she was like this is super uncool. So she had to like ask James Mangold to change the script, basically, because she was like, "My character's oh, wow. not going to die like that. That's just not good." God, yeah. Well, that a film I watched recently that I didn't love as much as you did, but Return to Seoul. Did you hear that the um, the star of that, who is a is a visual artist, um, that's her first acting role. Apparently, when she she wanted to do it because she felt the character was very similar to her, but made the director rewrite pretty much the character. She's like, "Yeah, this is not." This character is not written okay. very well, and you're not presenting women particularly as well as you could be doing, um, and that leads to like dramatic rewrites of the character and character arc. Interesting, which is and th- which is not a negative process. No, and th- this happens yeah, in, yeah. in really good films of a uh, because uh, you know this is as we talked about at the beginning the the whole SAG strike stuff. Film is collaboratively made by Absolutely. a bunch of people for a bunch of people's labor, um, but the re- the result of that labor <laughs> in Dial of Destiny is just shit. <laughs> right? Yeah, which um, is disappointing and. Yeah, and the Nazi stuff. It's someone got dunked on on Twitter, kind of fairly but unfairly. I know exactly what you're talking about too. Yeah, of this of thing of being like, you know, it will it will be like let's punch Nazis, but it will not actually engage with no Nazis bad. And people like this is dumb. And it is dumb to an extent, but also it's not not incorrect. <laughs> I agree. It's not entirely wrong. Yeah, it was like poorly phrased because it doesn't quite detail yes. the actual issue because you're right. There's nothing inherently wrong with making Nazis the villains. They're villains. Yeah. That's fine. You can They're good villains. And it's always cool to see people 
kill Nazis. I've got nothing against that. Straight action film. Right. Yeah, totally. But also, yes, you get to a certain point where you you kind of hit diminishing returns on like what that actually means when you just keep using them as this like standard boilerplate. These people are bad. Here's here's what a certain point is. The moment you leave the Second World War and you're in the post-war mm. period, then you need to engage with actual fascism yes. rather than just that person's a Nazi. And like, yes, because th- yes, they are. They are a Nazi. Then being a Nazi means something else because you're not saying that person was in the Nazi party. You're saying that person continues to actively be a Nazi. Right. And therefore, Nazi means an ideology and a way of thinking. Here's what annoys about the film. Really annoys about the film. Um, it is no- It is a true thing that... N- X, in quotes, Nazi scientists um, were involved in the science that got America to the moon. Yes. That is a true thing and a thing that's very good to engage with. Um, it's also true that everyone involved very much knew that. That's a better thing for your film to deal with. Yeah. Not the spoiler of them being like, oh, you scientists that helped get to the moon? Oh, we didn't know you were a Nazi. A better film would, would deal with right. that gray area of being like, yeah, we, 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 we knew that, but we, we thought you were useful to us. And then we're going to throw you off after that point. Yeah, there's like a weird thing where it like makes the choice his, the Nazi's choice to not engage with the U.S. at the end where like the president wants to congratulate him and then he's like, no, I'm ignoring the president now. And you're like, wait, what? Like, it's just like, yeah, because that character is like, oh, I didn't know that you were a Nazi and that's not your real name. I'm like, why did you write her to not know that? Like, she's smart. It's very obvious. Yeah. He's got henchmen. (laughs) Like, I'm like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I also had another podcast that apparently if you are um, from countries around Germany and of a certain age that playing Nazis is a good gig um, because it seems that a lot of German actors for obvious reasons don't want to play Nazis so therefore if you are Maz Maz Magelson, which I think is how you pronounce it um, if you are a Maz Magelson then you get a lot of roles like this and you go yeah I'll do that. Um, Yeah I mean he's not not bad. Yeah he's probably the best part of the movie as far as like performances mm. what i enjoyed the most um but it's also not saying that much because i mostly don't like yeah. any of the performances it's like also a movie that wants you to believe that toby jones is the father of people on a bridge and that's really hard to really um really <laughs> it's, that a, it's a weird choice well, you can choose anybody i love toby jones but <laughs> it could be anybody i do love toby jones but toby jones like this i don't, I don't buy this i don't buy this at all i mostly just really do not like that Phoebe Waller-Bridge character. I just, just... No. I just could not... I'm like, I don't know what this character is supposed and to the be. Kid. The kid's, yeah, not good either. I the guess, kid which I guess there to be a Kihei Kwan kind of like, right. look, it's, we're doing exactly. that dynamic again. Which is exactly the problem of like, okay, so this time let's do, let's have a short round character again. But it's like, okay, but this kid has no personality and isn't Kihei Kwan. <laughs> yeah. And, and, with, and with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, it's like, what if we combined those two characters in the last crusade into one character it's like what if it was the the foil that is sean connery but also that um the woman that betrays them in last crusade it's like what if we pushed both characters into one character i'm like yes but then you just have have a character who's like insufferable yeah like i'm just like i just don't like you i'm like why are you i just i'm like i don't why 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 are you a positive addition to this movie in any way but archimedes rule what would be really funny to me is here's how i would have ended the film of when they arrived at Archimedes and they said that Grandma Beezy, he'd have been like, sorry, who? And they just wrote that just some random Greek man that definitively was not Archimedes. That would have been, that would have been brilliant. I think, and this kind of goes to a point of like, the same thing of like, when stuff starts to bug you and you start to like, then you're in that mode, then just everything bugs you. Because it's like, it's, 
such a stupid nitpick, and I know there's all these arguments of like, oh, you know, Indiana Jones has always had silly magic stuff, so it's like, can you really complain? But like, to me, when it got to that end point of, okay, they're going back in time, and I'm like, okay, they went back in time, sure, I can accept this, and then they meet Archimedes, and then there's like, again, oh, like, this brief moment like of Assassin's like, Creed. It's an Assassin's Creed movie. oh, we realized that he designed this to always bring people to him, and I'm like, well, how does that, I'm like, I just like, to me, I was like, that makes... Like it's that, that's the at that point that has to be the movie. That's if you're going right. to make that bold claim, that is the exactly. Movie. I'm like this like, is such a thing at the end of like okay, I'm like like they never try to explain how the arc works. You know, there's it's not like that Scooby Doo reveal, right? Like there's no moment of like oh, and here's all the here's why the arc killed the Nazis. You're just like it's just a thing yeah. that happens. And you're like okay, it's a magic artifact yeah. and that's fine. But like here's yeah. there's like yeah, this yeah. weird moment of over explanation where I'm like, well, now I'm thinking about it and it doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think my argument for why the first three work and why the last two don't is because they were dealing with either theology or, or, or folklore and superstition, right, which is much. much easier to, to grapple with. Of This is biblical doctrine. And I think Temple of Doom doesn't work as well, but also it's not as... It's not as outlandish. There's one moment that is clearly kind of like folkloric, kind of like superstitious right. magic in it. Um, and and that works. It's also not great because it's building on a whole bunch of stereotypes that are yeah. deeply progressive. Um, Different problems. A- aliens work to an extent because it's riffing on pulpy adventure movies, and that's that's right. a type of them. But it doesn't work to the same extent because yes, they're riffing on those, but they were not those. And I think the theology elements that was always the heart of it. And it it's weird that you've got theology alongside this stuff at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You've got it's, God it's, and time. You got the Christian God and time travel is is strange, right? Like, there's a degree of like these these other things, like the the Holy Grail. It's just like this is just a religious yeah. artifact that exists mm. because it exists. You don't think about who like designed and built the Holy Grail in that way, you know? Right. Like, all right, William Paley. <laughs> right. Well, it's like. You're not talking about... I don't know who that joke was for, but if, if one <laughs> listener out there is like, a good joke about William Paley's watchmaker analogy, Stephen. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're actually spending the whole film talking about how Archimedes was designing this for this purpose, and it's just like, you're right, it does. It just mixes it in a different way where you're like, yeah, it, it asks you in a way to think about it. And then when you think about it, you're like, okay, but why? And then it's like, it's, it's <laughs> so questions that you don't want to be that. thinking about so in an Indiana Jones movie. Battle. Right, and they can say they brought in dragons. I'm like, no one looks at that and thinks that's a dragon. They have boats. They know what machines are. Like, they don't think that. You said they have planes, but they don't think that's. Yeah, a it's dragon. always the time travel um, thing of like, oh, people in the past were dumb. It's like, okay, I mean, <laughs> people, this guy also built a time travel dragons. device. <laughs> that's the same plot in Transformers: Age of Extinction when they oh thought that the robots were dragons. There's a there's a robot that flies over and burns everyone. They're like, oh no, Merlin has dragons. Oh, I'm God. like, that's Optimus Prime, my dude. <laughs> it's not Optimus Prime, but you know what I'm saying. Um, oh. Yeah, but the vi- that one moment of them flying through and Maz Mikkelsen looking down and seeing Trimarines, that was a cool. That was right. It was a, it's like there's a these shadow reveal, but is a cool reveal. There's like cool little moments interspersed where you're like, oh, this is like a cool thing. But then I think like at that point, I was also stuck on the reveal being that his plan was to go back in oh, time and kill awesome. Hitler. <laughs> I was like, no, what? No, don't, no you're <laughs> underwriting it because again, make this the movie. The movie that is about this character wanting to become better Hitler. 
better, more efficient Hitler. That is his plan. He wants to kill Hitler because he saw every mistake he made and he knows that he can be <laughs> well, Hitler. Right. That, but again, it's because that's, that's at the very movie. end. And it's it's like so many things in this film, they're just like throwaway lines where I'm like, I want more. Like, this has to be investigated more. <laughs> like, you can't just say that and then move on. It definitely feels like the last 20 minutes of the film they wanted to make. Yeah. And they thought they couldn't. Um, what is a shame. It is a shame. And I don't think it would be a great movie, but it would be something. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I'm genuinely curious now at this point, making this kind of movie in in 2023, it feels like now we're at a point where this stuff is... Like, Uncharted is, is pulling from Indiana Jones, but now it feels like we're full circle, and now, like... Indiana Jones is like, I wonder how much of this is like, right. how much is are they pulling from Uncharted and this kind of thing? Did I think of Uncharted 2 when watching Mission Impossible 7? Oh, oh you Steven, know I did. We'll you get back to that. <laughs> we will absolutely yeah. get back to that. Yeah. But I think that's enough Dark Destiny. Yes, that it film is. is not good. No, it's not. Um, so, um, we also both saw Wes Anderson's new film, Asteroid City. That we did, and I would say I feel like if we if things had played out a little differently, we would have dedicated more of a full episode to this, especially since mm. one of our first episodes was the French Dispatch. Yeah, um, we'll talk about it. We'll slot it right right nicely in here before we talk about Mission yeah. Impossible. Um, Stephen, how did you feel about Asteroids? I think City? it's brilliant. I, I think it's completely agree with completely you. Brilliant. Yeah, I I was from very early on was like. You know, in the podcast I talked about, I had that feeling in French Dispatch. I'm like, oh, am I... Wait, do I not like this? Yeah, yeah. And that happened like 10 minutes in. I brought to the opposite thing of like about five minutes in being like, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. And this is really good. Um, it just... I, I like the... The, the Matryoshka doll kind of like structure of it. I think, and I'm not sure if you agree with me here, I think the Matryoshka doll structure is not as good as the one in Budapest. I think it's it's more motivated in Budapest, more directly motivated hmm, okay. of the story within story because the film is more directly about storytelling. I think, um, to its credit, Astro City is more open-ended with its themes and more exploratory, hmm. but therefore means it's not as neat and tied together, which is fun for me because... Yeah. Wes Anderson gets critiqued as being too self-contained and too clinical and too precision-tooled. And I think, as a film of ideas, this film is really expansive. And here's, before I let you talk a bit more, and I apologise for consuming the conversation, but a conversation happened as I left the cinema. Um, and I saw this at the first, my favourite cinema in the world, the Hyper Picture House, which was on the road I used to live at, university. I saw they used to do this Creature of the Night thing at like 10, 11pm they'd put on like a wild movie and I watched so many wild things there that I'd never seen before and really really strange diverse stuff like things like King of Kong was a thing they screened okay. there and also things like They Live and The Evil yeah. Dead so it's, 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 it's got your classics and then something that's also a Tekken movie at some point so oh, cool. all kinds of just <laughs> like <Steven> strange <laughs> yeah it was just like because it's like hey there are students live here right. you want know, a weird thing at 10 p.m. They're like, yeah, I do. Um, and they closed before COVID for a renewal, lottery funded, and were fortunate that COVID happened to agree because that meant they, because they were closed, right. probably easier to stay open afterwards because they were already closed. And this was the grand reopening of that cinema, which I partly funded the reopening because I, for my 30th birthday, one of the seats has my name on it, so one of my seats is in there. A seat that you didn't sit in, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I didn't sit in it because someone else booked it. But I'm going to book it next time. It's a beautiful cinema. Um, if you're listening, Hobbit House, the building. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Did building. you did you so, yeah, see was... your seat when you were there? 
No, it was dark. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you walked around after or anything. But I sent an email to them afterwards being like, it was so great to be back. Um, can you tell me what, what number my seat is? So I've forgotten <laughs> that they did. <laughs> they let me know. Because I must have said that over the phone at some point. Oh, okay. I didn't know this down. Um, so I left the cinema at the end and people were talking about the film. And I, I, I always like to slightly like just over, yeah. just listen in and to what we were saying. And someone was talking about the film. And they said, I really liked it. And they said, I don't think I got it. But like, I really, really liked it. I wanted to be like, my man. That means you did get it. Yeah. That, like, that that's it. And my big takeaway from Asteroid City is there are things in there that I can't rationalize, and I can't say this means that. Right. And there's that scene towards the end where they keep chanting, "If you don't," I can't remember what the exact phrase is. You can't is, wake up like, if you don't fall asleep. I could not tell you what that means, but I know what that meant at the moment, and I know it meant right. it really impacted me, and I was like, yeah. And that's why that film worked, of, you don't leave that being, this one meant this, you leave that being yeah. like, that was a film about people grappling with things beyond, it, which is why I made the joke comparison to Verkmaster Harmonies, but that's the same theme, and it is that thing. I mean, of, yeah, you're not There are some wrong, things right? <laughs> that are larger and expansive, yeah. and part of the joy is, is grappling with unknowability, and... I've not seen Wes Anderson do that. I didn't think he could do that, and I think he did it absolutely brilliantly. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's. I like that you mentioned that line because to me, like I came out of the film very much thinking about that line, and that line meant something very mm. specific to me. And it's like I don't know that that's what Wes Anderson yeah. meant, but it meant something to me. So I don't care what he meant about it. You know, yes. it, it spoke to me as 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 a viewer of the film. But yeah, I think it is. I think it's fantastic, and I think that yes, I really think it is. Um, it's it's an interesting time for this specific film to come out, at least following the French Dispatch, because I think there's been a run of increasing Which was objectively shit. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, you can go back and yeah. listen to our, our French Dispatch podcast. Yeah. Neither of us like that film because yeah, um, it's objectively shit. <laughs> but I think just in general, culturally, there's been a shift to critique of Wes Anderson in a very a lot of very yeah. specific ways of like he's. It's all style and, you know, the rest of it, you know, yeah. whatever, it doesn't matter. And I, I, I've seen a lot of that sentiment with this as well. But to me, I'm like, that is exactly what this movie is rejecting to me. It's such a specific yeah. rejection of his own critics. And I'm like, yeah. to see people 100%. saying like, oh, this is just more the same. There's no substance to it. And I'm like, that is, you are completely missing exactly what he's doing with it. I'm going to be mean. Forgive me, audience, if I'm if I'm calling out here. If you only engage with moving the surface, you're only going to get a surface level reading of it, and you're only yeah. receiving the surface level. And 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 I feel that people that are talking about this film as being, you know, it's just like aesthetic. Then you are only ga- you are only engaging with it so right. shallowly. And I think I mean I think everyone's guilty of that to an extent. I'm not going to say I've never like gone in expecting something oh, and then right, have done that. but like percent <laughs> me. Yeah, it's if you if you're going into a Wes Anderson movie thinking there's no more sub- substance left in his films, then you're probably not going to find any substance there. If you are hoping not to find any, but. I can assure you that there is there is more than enough there if you are actually the looking entire for film it. was about people building up pretty facades and trying to hide behind them yeah. and having real deep feeling and real deep questions they're scared to articulate that's that's the entire film of of making more and more elaborate ways of hiding yourself behind things and there's be, there's there's a moment I caught up my review that I thought was just visually wonderful though sounds trite when you talk about it and it's obviously Adrian Brody's a bad human being but it's when he is in the theatre and he's put everything of his into that play that yeah. he's become that play and he's living that theatre. And the way he's framed is he's standing behind a box and the box just says on it, property of the theatre, fragile. And I'm like, that's right. It's such so like, on the nose, but also really beautiful because it doesn't draw attention to it. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, that's... That, it's that's, such a great little Wes Anderson thing. Like, you, you wouldn't probably yeah. see that in anything else, but like, it's, it's so nice to see that in like a Wes Anderson mm. movie and... 
and be able to appreciate it. But yeah, and it's like you said about the the structure. Like to me, I think that you're right that the structure in in Grand Budapest is a little bit more precise and like. Yeah. But to me, like I think it's a lot more meaningful here because I, I yeah no I agree I agree. Like because it is all ultimately about like why what is the point of like spending all this time creating this art and working on this stuff and yeah and narrowing down and narrowing down right. to make to make to make to get to precision it's like, just keep telling the story like it doesn't you you are getting something out of it just by being a part of it and like that's what it allows it to have really clever moments though the the bit that i really really loved is there's that scene early on where someone does a monologue that's cut out of the thing and it's a really cool yeah. monologue and they talk about a missing monologue and then they have a conversation about what does, what does this moment mean and then they don't push him on that, and then the moment happens later in the film. Yeah. And therefore, you know what someone said it meant, but then you know that one of the creators didn't really know what it meant, and then you know that it's okay. And this is why that conversation really fascinated me. Because I'm like, the film almost directly says it's okay to not know what exactly. something means. That's, it's I it's really okay that, to, yeah. to have unknowability. And it, it's a shame, I think, that people will leave this film thinking, like, oh, I didn't get it. I'm like, no, no there's nothing to quote unquote. Some films, there are things to get right. in. And it's like, you know, if you leave, there's a great Michael Haneke quote about Cachet, which is such a great quote. And it's not my mum's quote. And we'll, we'll, I've quoted my mum on Cachet <laughs> so many times. I'm not doing that again. Um, but it's when someone he's, someone asked him about what does the end mean? And he said, if you're asking that question, you've not understood the film. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah no if you're like ask, i think it's like who's filming it's like if you're asking who's filming at the end you've not understood yeah. the movie and i'm like yeah 100 directly um but yeah you should leave asteroid city being like it's it's, a, it's about unknowability yeah there are some I, things that you won't know i think that's just kind of a general problem now with the way that people are are consuming things is that there always has mm. to be like an answer there always has to be this this thing to come to and I think that, explained like, right like i think that even you know letterboxd as a as a platform is probably partially guilty of not like that it's letterboxd's fault but like just yes, the, but the it's, way it's, that it, it proliferates the social stuff right it's like you always have to you and especially like you look at a movie and you look at the page and you're looking at all these people breaking it down and if you yeah. don't come out of something feeling like you have a perfect understanding of what everything means i think there's sort of a stigma to like oh well yeah what's the point if i didn't understand it but it's like you shouldn't have to understand everything if you went into asteroid city yeah. and you understood just one moment or even just one moment spoke to you as the viewer then yeah. you know i think that's that's all that should matter really it's not necessarily about understanding some every tiny specific of it i'm not going to say that i understood every single thing about asteroid city yeah. but i don't care that i didn't <laughs> but because that's and it's so foregrounds that because there is that central point of a thing happens with no explanation and it's utterly wild, right. and beyond the ex- and then the film just just deals with that, and then another thing happens that wraps that up with no explanation, and then they just carry on, and they just have yeah. to deal with this moment. I don't know why I'm speaking about it so vaguely. So it, 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 <laughs> right, an alien by Jeff Goldblum <laughs> appears um, and takes an asteroid for no reason, and then later plumps it back down and, cat- and cat- this catalogued it, and that's a fun little joke about like the needs to catalog things yeah. and, and that as as a want, the needs to find things and explain things, and. This, for me also, and you know I love saying this, um, but also, I don't know, I, my, my life was very, very I know this is the same for everybody, but my life was hugely affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and this film, to me, 100% feels like people who are grappling with that thing of something 
absolutely yeah. giant happened to us that we could not imagine. And it became very, very normal very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then it was it was people that mattered and it was in interactions. And that's the film. Something unbelievably large happens. And then it's about how do we relate to each other as people and people getting through that and actually being forced to interact and, and see humanity. Right, it really and like, it's, it's unexplainable and there's not really any clear answer to it and everyone around you is trying to find answers. Some people mm. are trying, like... I, I love the Maya Hawk character like having to try and like oh. explain that to her class and it's like there she she has no so answers fun. but they're looking to her for some kind of like mm. what can you tell us just to make us feel better about it. it's just like there's so many great little things all throughout of like yeah these are these are very relatable when you kind of take it out yeah. of the, the alien specific context and the thing I say on top of all of that it's so funny it I is, was it just is. it's even just as a as just a straight-up just comedy film where all of its, like, eccentricities and structural flourishes are there to allow things to be funny. It's so funny. I need to find the... There's there's a line that Tilda Swinton's character says that is just one of my... One of my own... Jeffrey Wright's goddamn speech just... Oh, yeah, there's so many great... Walking towards the camera. (laughs) So many great deliveries. Um, The kid that's just like, dare me to do things, and then in the back of one scene, he's just like drinking out of a water button, like he's thirsty, leave him alone. (laughs) It's so good. The Roadrunner? Absolutely incredible. One of my favorite little moments... not even line delivery, but just like when um, Brian Cranston's character just accidentally stumbles into the play itself. Oh, it's so good. It's <laughs> and so just funny. like, oh, wait, I'm not in this scene. <laughs> but this is why, again, thinking back on the film, this is why it's absolutely brilliant. So there is a, is a bit early on where they talk about a car and they go, all right, well, I fix these cars. It's going to be this thing or it's this thing, <laughs> which is, and then the punchline of that joke is, Oh, it's a third thing we realize, <laughs> right. and that becomes the that, that becomes the movie. Yeah, <laughs> we think it's blah and blah, and sometimes there's a third thing that we just don't know about. Yeah, never exp- some weird thing comes out of a car. No point. Any idea what that is? No, it's never explained at <laughs> all. I like the, it comes back later, but you still don't understand what it is. <laughs> no, it's just great, and it's so pretty, and it's so well made, and it's just so. But it doesn't feel well made in that French Dispatch way of there's so much craft here, but pointed nowhere. I love the way the camera glides along in this play world to keep it real but still feel like yeah. it's a diorama to be shown like it still is artifice. It it all feels additive and precise and, and wonderful and it does have a distinct approach for each period as opposed to random approaches like in French Dispatch. Yeah, it's, it's not... I think a lot of the French Dispatch is like constantly calling attention to itself and mm. I feel like that's not the same... Like, I mean, obviously there are these grand moments of like that first moment where they're in asteroid city and the camera does that full 360 is just like amazing like i love that that shot but there's also like these just great little things like there's the in the opening when they're in on the actual stage where the they're putting the play on and he's talking about the different scenes and locations and like it's cutting back and forth and so like it cuts to him looking at it. So then when it cuts to the next shot, then you're seeing the thing that he last talked about. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about there, but I there's just like so many great little details where I was just like, I was just, I don't know. It just made me very like gleefully happy to be watching it in yeah. the way that I always wanting Wes Anderson to do. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful, wonderful movie. My favorite performance in it is not my favorite performance in it. This is, this is a joke response, but it's also quite funny to me because there is a double layered performance because Tom Hanks is not playing a character. Tom Hanks is playing Bill Murray, playing a Wes oh, Anderson right, character. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and, and like, it's just like if this was five years ago, this would be Bill Murray. But now, just yeah. it's just written exactly the same. It's pretty much the Rushmore character. He's just like, now I'm just playing it. I'm playing Bill Murray and Rushmore, yeah. and he plays it very, very well. No, it's great, and I love that. Um, I have no idea. I totally my train of thought left the left the stratosphere oh, there. No. I have no idea where I was going with that. Um, I don't know. Tom yeah, Hanks is but great. You loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. I did find that yeah, that Tilda Swinton line, which I'll just say briefly, where she's talking about oh, yeah? she's talking about children, and she says, "I never had children, but sometimes I wonder if I wish I should have." <laughs> <laughs> which like, is the perfect way to understand life yeah. because it is like sad and meaningful. Right. Like that. Actually, I, I I get what you mean by that. Um, but it's also just very funny. Yeah. <laughs> just like you, it totally makes sense. And it makes sense for that character. And it is kind of sad, but you're also like, this is delivered in the perfect, like Anderson affect of like, yeah. yeah. Wonderful little movie. Um, this is also the first film in a genre that I famously dislike, that I really like. And I like because of that genre. Vaughn, it's a sad space dad movie. Oh, you're right. It's, true. That's it's a sad space dad movie. Steven's least favorite really- genre. One of my least favorite genres, <laughs> but it it grapples with that really well. Yeah, I think yeah. of it, 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 it doesn't lionize or get overly obsessed with the dad character. No, um, and their sadness is a kind of hidden behind sadness, and because that's the key theme of the movie, is right. people are hiding their true grief. Yeah, yeah, um, behind things, and it just it's it's very resonating. And yeah, I think that definitely. It makes a big difference when it's not just like everyone else is normal and it's all centered around his specific grief. It's like yeah. everyone is, is dealing with their own things and it's kind of like him connecting with those other people and their grief and their problems that kind of helps him work through it. And so it's like you're getting the connections of everybody that is in that situation rather than just like, oh, this guy is so sad. And across the Spider-Verse aside, I think I've realized that Jason Schwartzman is an actor that I love completely, that I only want to see in Wes Anderson films. I have no interest in, <laughs> in him existing outside of Wes Anderson he is, films. Yeah, he is just the perfect Wes Anderson actor, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I, but I do love him in Across the Spider-Verse. I think he's great in that I too. do too. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, well, since we are on a, a slight, a very slight time crunch, and since we've got a, a back end of emails at the end of this... Mm. Um, you've, got a, you've got a back end too, but... <laughs> I don't, know to, I don't know how to respond to that. Um, back end of that. Well, I'm not gonna. <laughs> everyone was. Everyone was thinking I, it. Did I, can I? How do I open this? I, I put a link. In, there we go. I put a link. If in you my choose notes. to accept it. Um, well, before we get to Mission Impossible, Stephen, you know oh, what we I'm, have to I'm do. I'm geared down. We have I'm, to gear I'm up. So, Stephen. I'm in such a low gear. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting closer and closer. I don't even know when this is releasing at this point. I saw a trailer for um, Gran Turismo, and I wanted to clap at the end, and then realized that would come across as really, really weird. <laughs> I did. I can't remember what we were seeing, but there was one movie where we were in a packed theater, and the Gran Turismo trailer came on, and when it ended, I went "woo!" and just like everyone else <laughs> yeah. was just dead silent. But I was excited for it. Um, I did see the trailer, and thought the first time I saw the trailer with fresh eyes, and thought this film looks really bad. <laughs> I I was going to read this whole article that I found, but since we are on since we are on a, a, a time crunch, I won't. But the Gran Turismo movie premiered. Since we have last recorded. Crap, really? And so I, there was some initial reactions. I stumbled across this article. This Stuck is the, in this neutral. Is, this is the only article I found like about the reactions, which makes it even funnier to me. That nobody's like really talking about it. 
Um, Maybe it is like the boy and the heron that they know they're not going to talk about. Oh yeah, they're trying not to market it, even though everyone's seen trailers. <laughs> Please do not. Speak. It's like the end of Diabolique. Have you seen Diabolique? Uh, no, I haven't. Where it says not to speak about the movie, they don't know. It's like now you've watched it, never speak of it. Um, <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out how to like condense. I want to read a this. review of Gran Turismo that just says like Diabolique. <laughs> I mean, you could be the one to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I reckon I could. Uh, okay, I'm just going to read one of these random reactions that's linked in this 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 post here. But Gran Turismo manages to combine the unbridled passion of the best sports films, the fun details and references of video game movies, and the aspirational drive and belief within great biopics. This mixes them God. into one of the, if not the greatest, video game movie ever. Damning effect. Oh, there's right? there's one more in here. I know. <laughs> this is this is my favorite reaction. So I saw Gran Turismo movie and I loved it. I think gamers will relate to it a lot because of its story. Mm. Hell, even people passionate... I think gamers will, because it's about them. Even people passionate about doing something only to have their parents doubt them will relate to this film. Okay, that's great. I actually love that. <laughs> um, that's me watching horror movies. It's always it's always funny, like, these, these initial reaction things. It's just, like, obviously they brought it... They bring in all the people who are just, like, going to be excited no matter what. <laughs> and yeah. give yeah, positive yeah, yeah. reactions. Abs- absolutely love that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm excited for the Crunchers movie. I think, I, think the, I think the thing that's funny is seeing all these people talking about it as a video game adaptation. I'm like, it's, it's really not, though. It <laughs> just has a video game title, but it is not a video game adaptation in any way. This and The Wizard, am I? My favorite video game adaptations. <laughs> um, so there's your your Gran Turismo for this week. I don't think that has made oh. me any more or less excited for Gran Turismo. <laughs> I don't think I could be more excited. To be fair, I just love the making. Gran Tur- I just love that inherently. So it's much. a fun they're thing to be excited Turismo about. <laughs> uh, why? 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 But a movie that is oh. out and we did see. Yeah. Mission colon I... impossible dash dead reckoning part one. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought there'd be some punctuation between Dead Reckoning and Part 1, but no, it's Dead no, Reckoning Part 1. Dead Reckoning Part bam, 1. There. And they say Dead Reckoning in the first five minutes, and it sounds so stupid that they never say it again. <laughs> <Dead> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Fall, Fallout is a little bit easier to like sneak into the conversation. <laughs> and so is 2 and 3, for example. Those are really easy to say. Exactly. I don't remember them ever saying the words Ghost Protocol in that movie. Or no, maybe they do. Yeah. I don't remember. No, they probably it's do. been a while. I get confused about the names of these films. And also, to me, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation are the same movie. That's fair. I mean, one's Brad, one's Brad Bird and one's uh, Macquarie. But... It's the same movie. Okay, well, fair enough. Same film. I couldn't, I... <laughs> same film. Fallout is that film again, but moderately better. Um, well, okay, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll come um, back to that and I'll be yeah. mad about it. But... Yeah, I don't, I... yeah, so I rewatched Mission Impossible Fallout. Um... I rewatched Mission Impossible One, and I rewatched Mission Impossible Two, and I did not want to rewatch any of the others. Um, I rewatched the same ones. I, too. That's interesting. I generally thought that after being a bit eh on Fallout at the cinema when it came out, that I'd watch it now and be like, "Oh, this is great." I think I liked it less um, this time. I just, I just, it's crazy. I don't get it. I, I just don't like it very much. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I don't like the way that it's paced. Um, it is very babble narrative heavy with vague factions that don't really mean anything it takes in the form of a political thriller but has no interest in being political in any way um, well, about anything yeah, I mean, um okay but the new one doesn't do that, that that's what i'm saying the, the new one evades these things really nicely and is really okay. clean and just has like a the the new one which i surprisingly i really loved this film I i'm surprised had too. such a great time i thought it was absolutely fantastic um 
and because it's just like the simplest premise which is just so easy as a way to make it happen of getting everyone is out for a thing you know what they want a thing right. and they're all going to betray each other bam and then fallout they're like i'm part of this faction that believes this and this and this but what we really believe i don't really know blah blah, blah. and we go over to here and then we go here and i never really know why it's going on and i watched fallout the other day i can't really remember the set pieces in it and that sounds really bad but like that I, is bad but i've also like, like I, I i could say them very not only because i watched it like two days ago now but like i've also seen fallout like eight times because i just really love fallout um I think Fallout is incredible, and rewatching it again after seeing Dead Reckoning, I was like, "Yeah, it's still this is still my favorite of them easily." Um, but I think it kind of just highlights. I find like, it quite dull. I find it quite. I, th- I mean, I it can't just even really articulate why. I just find it quite dull. Which I mean is is fine, but I think it's interesting because I think it just totally highlights like our different interests in in film because you're mm. talking about how like you know the the factions are confusing and. You know, you can't really pin down, like, who's interested in what and why. And it's like, that. just none of that stuff matters to me in the slightest. They keep talking about it. They talk about <laughs> it so much. It just doesn't... I, it, if it didn't care, I would not care. But it, it keeps... Which, it from keeps the perspective... Back to that lens. From the perspective of not being that into it. And again, like, the same thing. Like, once you start seeing it, then it's all you see. But, mm. like, to me, like, it just moves so efficiently as, as a thriller. And I love all the set pieces... It is some of my favorite um, film music in the past decade or so. Cool. I absolutely love the Fallout score and underrated mix because the music is just loud as hell in that movie. And it's just like, it's put at the forefront to a degree that I just really love. And it just like helps move the whole thing so, so efficiently. Um, I just, I really love Fallout. On the other hand, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is just an absolute stonker of a movie that I had just such great time with. Also fantastic. And was, was just really gripped and moved by and just like slack-jawed through parts of it. And helped by it being in the cinema, but I also I saw Fallout in the cinema and did, did not feel similarly about it. Um, I think the opening is good. Um, that first scene, it's a little bit like, are we doing this Cold War Russian stuff again? But then it turns out it's not doing that stuff, yeah. so I was, I was yeah. pleased. Um, have you seen Hunt for Red October? I have not. Um, so Humphrey October has this really cool bit at the beginning <laughs> where they're talking in Russian with subtitles and then it zooms in on Sean Connery's mouth and zooms out and then they speak just in English for the rest of the movie. Oh, it's um, like is a, the it's, film it's, is translating it's, everything for you. Is, is a cool way of is a cool <laughs> yeah. way of transitioning that. This does a similar thing of they're speaking in Russian and then they just stop. And then like you hear like two voices at once saying the same thing and then it's just like bam now we're dip we're ditching yeah. the subtitles. Um but Which it's only that one scene, like, so it's like, you could just be in Russian for that scene, that's fine. But that's what I'm saying, it seems like a very right. purposeful, seems that on a submarine, it seems like a, we're doing Hunt for October. Oh, okay, that's and fair. It it definitely seems like the next film is going to be, and I wrote this, Ethan Hunt for October, um, yeah. because they are we are we are going submarine, baby, and I'm, I'm excited about that. As a person that finds submarines terrifying, I'm excited, I'm excited for this. Um, Understandably. Um, yeah, no, no I... do, don't, don't go down that. <laughs> Um, I do think that opening scene is pretty great. Like, I like the... It's just, like, this perfect, like, distillation of... I think kind of these these films as a whole of, like... You've got these characters who are in a situation that they can't possibly get out of. And so cool. you don't quite know what's going on. They're trying to figure out, like, what's happening. And you're trying to piece together, like, what's happening. The dead reckoning and it's done. <laughs> um, but, like, then when there's that final moment of, like, oh, they their torpedo is heading back towards them, I'm like, oh, this is just great. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so very, very cool. At that point, I was like, because I entered it a little bit biased, being like, these movies aren't for me. Right. After that scene, I was like, 
I did enjoy that though. That was a, that was a good scene. I did like that. I, I, Gets you I amped up for scene. the rest. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what? It's a good way to start. Good, good, good job, movie. Um, so my take was trying to work out why I liked it. And you could, if you listen to the, my um, stacks patron thing, you'd hear me being like, maybe it's just it just worked this time. And me going back to Mission Impossible One made me realize what I thought was the case is the case. This is the most direct callback to that movie. Oh yeah, of very very much definitively and it only really stood out it is it is a single item we're going after that's about information the knock list and the key right. are very very similar in that way the religious stuff of the key is very very silly it being a cross is absolutely ridiculous yeah. um, <laughs> what is this fast x no um also you know what's a great movie fast x no, we're not talking about fast we don't have time United for fast x it's absolutely no. awesome <laughs> what a great movie but absolutely, that, that oh, absolute banger, five star banger of a movie. Five anyway, star um, <laughs> I you know same as Shivers, five star banger. Um, so Dead Reckoning. So you've got this the central thing, and in it has that Cold War hysteria yep. that um, that first film has. But that first film isn't all Cold War hysteria because it's also like on the edge of the millennium hysteria right. where they're a little bit scared about technology. And this film, again, is what if technology was, was the scary thing? And it is the first film, again, that engages with, properly engages with, what if all these institutions are bad yes. and are using us as pawns? And Fallout kind of does that, but it goes, actually, the CIA is very good, but this one guy in the CIA is a bad guy, um, which sucks. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I, And again, like that's not... I'm still like unconcerned with the specifics of that and Fallout that it doesn't bother me. I could absolutely dig into yeah. it. And you're right, it's not a great look. Because yes, most of these films, aside from like the first one, are like ultimately the US government is on the side of protecting the humanity and everything. Yeah. And this movie is like, well, but what if the US government was either fascist or just completely incompetent? And I'm like, okay, I'm all about that. <laughs> like but that works. Just, like, just hunger for power. Like I right. think why I like this is I'm so bored of films about saving the world from... And that's why I think I found Fallout a bit boring because it's just like, mm. there's going to be like 55 nukes. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't really care. It's not though, is it? Like it's not. That's like, fair. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I don't really... And that's a silly response, but I find it quite hard to, to get past that of, yeah, they're going to stop the bomb. I don't care. I get the mindset but for sure. This is... This is about stopping people from ending the world more than it is about that. It's not saving the world. It is yeah. people are trying to careen towards I want Pandora's box to open. Right. And it's a bunch of people going after Pandora's box. And that's more interesting to me because the, the stakes, though they are global still, are actually internal political. Yeah, because it's not like there's not an imminent threat of like at the end of Fallout, no. it's like if these nukes go off, then a third, a third of the world population is starved or whatever, which yeah this movie it's like theoretically if they fail at their task nobody's going to notice anything yeah. at all instantly but it's the thing that just like the the characters know that needs to be stopped um yeah. even though it is i think vague and not a very good way um oh no you, you are right but i think this film plays to its strengths and this is i'm gonna keep going back to fallout because this made it clearer to me of there are points in Fallout where it wants him to believe that Tom Cruise is romantically interested in other human beings that aren't just him <laughs> doing stunts. Um, and I just don't buy that at all. I do miss Impossible 2, it's a different point in his career. Um, that sure. that makes sense, that point. But anytime it goes back to his relationship and love and protection, I'm like, nah. This film, the pacing is, what if it was always going upwards? And it puts Tom Cruise on that line 
but surrounds him with characters that are interesting and are fun, that they are able to be charismatic and have little arcs, and he just goes like a little, like, retriever, just go, 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 go. <laughs> and at no point does it want you to think that he is emotional and has connections. Seven's like, I care about my crew, but that's it. And it really, you don't get that same thing around him. I think Fallout's no, exactly the same. It starts with a bloody wedding thing of him being like, oh no, I to have to hold, to betray, etc. And then it has that, like, Saw film thing of being like, oh, I brought you up here and it turns out that your wife is here and she's going to die at the same time. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, but I don't even think that's necessarily... Stuff's so dumb. (laughs) I I disagree because I don't think that's necessarily about, like, he is romantically like involved with in in that way it's i think that's more just the same thing of where it all comes back to ethan is always interested in protecting those Mm. individual people and romantically or not he has a past with michelle monaghan's character and so i think it's more just like okay he i think it's more that the villain believes that of him and he just (laughs) wants to save people at all costs no matter what I think that's fair. I think my unfair opinion is, I'm like, oh, this is just here because it was the first scene in the movie. I'm like, you can't just do that movie. You can't just have scene <laughs> one, wedding dream, for then the enemy being like, and she's back. Remember the wedding dream? I'm like, yes, I do. That was in the film. Um, Which, right. It's just like how you're how you're approaching the film. So I totally, yeah. totally get it. Which, and this, and I don't, unequivocally love this film there are bits in this film which i do and there is that bit when it's just like pick which woman even and i'm like yeah this yeah. film that's you're just you're just fronting this whole franchise has an issue with creating female characters <laughs> that just get killed for even hunt i'm like that's maybe don't make that a plot point right maybe. um yeah. and there is an entire scene in this film that i think is bad which we talked about earlier um off mic which is when they have several characters take it in turns to explain what ai is Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! Terrible! Just, yeah, like, I don't like that scene. It, it's so bad. That scene entirely, like, in itself, is a terrible scene. It just entirely is like hinged on you know that there's this figure that walks into the room, and then you eventually get the feeling of like, oh, this is Ethan Hunt who's in the room with mm-hmm. them, and then it, like when it kicks off and you've got yeah. that great interaction with Kittredge, and, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's great, and I love having him back. But yeah, the... him as the creepy face of IMF. Right. The moment it actually makes a character say what IMF stands for, I'm like, this franchise is embarrassing. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> Just slightly. <laughs> yeah. It's like it works when it's like, you know, goofy in 60s, and that's that's fine, but when you bring it, it into like this modern it. context, it's like, yeah, let's just leave it where it is. I think it's also Though like... It's funny when someone said the International Monetary Fund. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> I think that also just, like, to me, like, that same thing of, like, it brought up to me, I'm like, where, how exactly does the IMF exist in the government? And it seems like yeah. this movie places it in a different position than other movies have. Know, and I'm just like, I'm just like, I don't really understand. Is this a secret? Is it not a secret? I mean, it's like, again, I don't really care. And that's just the first yeah. 10 minutes and they move yeah. away from it. So I'm kind of like, okay, fine. But it was like a weird thing where yeah. I was like, I don't understand how this works. And then it keeps going. I think Hayley Atwell's character is really, really cool because she yeah. is different. She is not just... I, re- I really don't like the Isla Faust character. I find her so... Because it's just like... It is the... What if the lady was just the same as Ethan Hunt? And it's just... It's that kind of like... She's badass in a way that I find doesn't really bring something. Mm. But I really like what Hayley Atwell's grace brings to yeah. it because she has a different set of skills and needs to be guided through things by Ethan Hunt because she can't do what he can do. But then she can also get well, one over on him in other ways. Right, and, that's a fun and she's completely unfamiliar with the world and, like, is totally just, mm. like, kind of accidentally brought into it and then you reach a point of, like, you realize that 
there's literally nowhere else for her to go and it's like well yeah. this this is just kind of the path that we really have well. to go down yeah um pon clementiev is that her name yeah um she is incredible she's so fantastic looked up what- so you look up what else she was in. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Um, <laughs> she's in that franchise that hates her. Um, but no, she's fantastic, and I was like, genuinely, well, I, think... I was, I was genuinely sad when they ended up killing that character off. Because oh, I was, I was like, you better not have done because she is, she's so great. And I was just like, I was, I was. They, they give you such little information. Not that I think that's a bad thing, but then I'm like, this character that I want to learn so much more about and see so much more of is now just like gone. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> like I just, she crafts such a clear and wonderful character out of just like the most amazing physical. performance. Yes. It is like silent comedy perfection. There is some Buster Keaton in this film. Oh, there very is much like so. some of the action has like a real wit to it. And she is a big part of that. It is really sick. I think the way they wrap her, her arc is a bit misogynistic and is bad. Um, of the, they just make her do a thing and it's Yeah film you talking about it doesn't make right, it better yeah. to just do that thing um but her performance throughout is just absolutely just her gleefully just putting that big boot down oh, I know. <laughs> on her accelerator and that it's just such a cool scene um oh that whole i mean just i think the uh, i like the whole movie a lot i mean that, that whole final mm. sequence is also fantastic but i think just like astonishing the, the first like hour of the movie to me is just like flawless like that whole initial mm-hmm. sequence where they're in the airport and it's like an oceans movie so and there's just like the the item moving back and forth and between different characters and you've got the uh <laughs> i love shea wiggum and this movie is so great chasing him down the whole time and oh, there's oh just he's like, fun I don't, I don't get why they had like a whole like 30 people and then it's just two for the rest of the movie but hey whatever yeah i was just kind of um. like that, that's fine they can chase him down <laughs> i guess it makes i guess it's easier to like have two people globe trotting around following it Ethan. seems that Ethan hunt is a ghost that's the whole idea of the IMF force. They're a go- but they're also eminently trackable. Yeah, it, that's the thing where I'm like, I don't really understand how this works, but, <laughs> but I don't care. But that's fine, right? Yeah, like that whole whole sequence in the airport is just amazing. And then so when they end up there in Rome, and just like that car chase through Rome is just like just <laughs> past so, the Keats Shelley House. I'm I like, mean, that's that place from Bright Star. <laughs> it's that place from Fast X. <laughs> I mean, yeah, true. I watched three movies in one weekend that included the Spanish Step. <laughs> Um, and like as much as I love Fallout, and there's a great car chase sequence in that film as well, but like the the Damn little it. Fiat is just it's just like it's such so oh, it's great, so, cool. it has so much it, personality, it's a great like comic prop, yeah, and swapping seats around, and I constantly felt the cinematography was just and direction, visual direction was just like it's just you, it's being atypical but not like in a brash way of mm. if anyone else was to shoot this car chase, it would be like in Fast X of yeah spectacle big wide shots of cars screening around but so much of it is up in that cockpit because it's so much more interesting saying these characters are out of their depth right. and i want to convey that visually than it is in giving you a great car chase and that's why i really love the action in this film of it's interested in showing you action but it's more interested in showing you the narrative of the characters through the action and it builds characters right. through action and every action scene more than fallout i think has like an arc and story moments in it which i think fallout just is like here's the story and here's a big stun and here's some story yeah, and I think like you have the benefit of Macquarie being I mean, Macquarie and Cruz really like being so practical focused. It gives you the the leniency to when you have actual coverage of actual things happening, and you don't have to like mm. constantly be working around shooting specific angles and specific things so that you can then you know comp it together or do visual yeah. effects to make it look good. It's like then you have the the freedom to work within that and like okay, we actually have shot this and they're actually doing it so we can 
make it look as good as we want. And we have the yeah. ability to actually choose to to do these things in the way that we want them to. In a world where many films have tried to do a live action version of the the train level from Uncharted Two, this is the best <laughs> I, um, so live action to... version of the train level from Uncharted Two. So I don't I don't typically, or at least historically, I am not good at like taking notes in the movie. Um, mm. And your note was Stephen's going to mention Uncharted Two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not far off, but. So I was like, I should, I should start doing that. So I got some little notebooks, and I was like, I can take these to like cool. screenings where I'm going to actually be reviewing the the movie. So yeah. I, I have I had this little notebook at at Dead Reckoning, and I, I realized several things. Which one was like, this movie is very dark, just in the, as far as the theater. And mm. I was like, I can't see what I'm writing. So I was like, mm. I'm kind of sort of trying to scrawl notes. And then when I yeah. came out, and I was like, oh my god, this is this is a mess. Just trying to decipher my own notes here. But I did specifically write a note that said, "Now this is Uncharted." <laughs> At the end, <laughs> I was like, "This racing. is absolutely the Uncharted." Do you they're jumping up when they're jumping up? The oh train, yeah, like, yeah. This is this is just very uncharted. much, I very much. Um, Yeah, I love, and, it, and because it's it's such a great like throwback to that first movie. I love that it is just yes. full of Dutch angles. <laughs> like it's my favorite thing. Oh, it just, really like, is. Yeah, it's such it's so coolly shot. I had so much fun with it, and just it is a traditional spy movie. Yeah, it's just that all the verbs and nouns have been made modern, but the core of it is still very classical. Um, it it has a contemporary outer shell, but it is just uh, everyone's out to get a key. You know where the key matters because the key matters because keys unlock things. You know where that matters. Yeah, you want to unlock something. You unlock something. It's so streamlined that it everything just pops forward from that. And the characters introduced us are great. I still think Isla Faust sucks. I'm glad she died. Wow. I'll bring her back so they can kill her again. <laughs> Jeez. For the record, I like Ilsa. She's a cool character. Um, See, I didn't even know her name. <laughs> That's how much I hate her. Um, and I, I detail this a lot more in the review I have on the site. But, I, I mean, just... And it's not really necessarily worth even repeating... Um, it's just I, I, I just it. well I just think I just think the villain in general is just stupid and it's like I get it oh yeah I no, get what they're not, doing not wrong because and I think there's certainly an argument to be made for just like this I got a bit confused because for a while I thought that he was the personification of the AI I thought that he was, <laughs> he was a robot it, implies, <laughs> it kind of does you're right that. in 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 when he disappears from yeah. Ethan's glasses I'm like oh is he a robot it does <laughs> it, it, it does kind of seem that way um but no he's an inserted person who's never existed before but apparently is super important and is the reason yeah why that's it's such a weird thing to me like I I mean and credit to Dead Reckoning, because I think it does a really good job of convincing you that he was really, like, a part of that first movie. But then you... Yeah, the way it shoots those scenes, yeah. I just like it. And I then rewatched it, scene, exactly. but I he's not in this movie at all. That was exactly... I was like, is this guy in the first movie? And then I rewatched it, and I was like, no, no he's not. He no, was completely yeah, fabricated <laughs> for the new movie. Which is, like, it's fine, because in the context of the movie, it's that you don't really notice it. But yeah, yeah. just... The whole AI thing is is explained away very quickly of just like, I don't know, it's rogue and now the AI wants to it's, sort of vaguely take over the world. They need a new way of being like ultimate power. Right. You get ultimate power. And it, it, it does well. I think the thing that I will end this conversation on, because I think this is the, the best way to leave it, okay. is of the several films we've seen recently that have been clear part ones, and it's not even names as a part one, this is the only one that felt like this is a full movie. And I did not feel like I watched half film. Well, that... There's your answer because uh, that was a question we received. Um, that was just in ah yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> in our Discord. But um, yes, there was a, a question from our friend Gorgon who asked, "What is the most satisfying part one?" 
Um, and he said between Dune, Spider-Verse, and Mission Impossible, I also included myself, Fast X, in that because it's also a yeah. part one. Um, but yes, yeah, Mission I... Impossible by far is the most satisfying, conclusive film. It sets up stakes in its film that it deals with completely. This feels like a James Bond film in the way of being like, oh, you know where the next one is going and this like will return. Or it feels right. like, it feels like a, a normal film where it's like, there are still things to be dealt with. There'll be This feels like there will be a sequel, but this is a movie. Exactly. As opposed to Spider-Verse and Fast X and Dune, which feel like half of a film that has not come out yet. And because I had a conversation with Emma on the way home from seeing Spider-Verse, because some of the, my issues with Spider-Verse are that this seems dumb, and this seems like it's not going to be the way, but the second film will probably make good on this. But it might not. Right. So therefore... Exactly. I think it's it's just... It's such a minor thing, because it's just literally like, does the film have a conclusive arc? And the yeah. Dead Reckoning sets up, we need to get the two halves of this key, we need to get them together, and yes. we need to be in possession of them, and that's how the film ends. That's all you need. Yeah. Yes, there's a lingering threat, we can deal with it in part two, but there is a so, point A to point B. And in spite of us, so we're spoiling films rampantly now, but there is the implication that... So Mars Morales has already, by his existence, broken a canon event, which means that canon <clears> events can't actually be a thing. And it seems that what Miguel is saying is not real. It seems that way. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure the next movie's going to do that directly, but it hasn't yet. Yeah. So at the moment we have a movie where I'm like, that doesn't seem like that's correct. And until there's that film that deals with that... But that's not that film yet. Yeah. So we still have a film that just has these loose random ends. I'm like, that doesn't make sense yet. Yeah. And I shouldn't have to have a second film to make this first film make sense. Yes, yeah, exactly. But if somehow the writer strikes go on forever and Dead Reckoning yeah. Part 2 never gets completed, this movie is fine. It is a mm. complete film. I do not need a Part 2 to enjoy yeah. this film and feel like it is a whole piece, a whole unit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's abs- I'm so surprised. I thought this one was And I'm so glad awesome. that you enjoyed it. I can't believe how long it was. I, I, it is. It moves so was. fast. I would say about 100 minutes, maybe two hours. Yeah. A push. Yeah, I, no, that's exactly how I felt. I was just like, this just flies by. Just like, when it get when it gets to that point, like when it gets to that final sequence and like he's actually doing the the jump off the, the cliff and I was like, oh, this must be the final oh, sequence. That moment. But from, like, right. But I'm like, but I don't feel like I've gotten to the end of the movie. Like, I feel yeah. like this could just keep going and I wouldn't mind at all. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I thought it was an absolutely brilliant film and I was so surprised to feel that way. I just, <laughs> I was like, and message Vaughn after it, so I was just like, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think your exact words were like, you were right. And I was like, yeah, damn right. Yeah, it's I was great. Like, yeah, you were right. That's <laughs> a like, capital D great movie. Um, all right. All right. Well, let's get we into correspondences. Some, some listener mail. I've got a few few correspondences here. So this one was sent initially. I think this was kind of an awkward timing email-wise because I think it was sent after two episodes ago came out, but then we recorded the previous episode kind of soon after, so it was kind of a weird scheduling thing. Um, But we have an email from our friend Lorcan. Hey, hello. Who writes in, Hi Stephen and Vaughn, I enjoyed your last show. I have a few items of trivia related to your discussion of remakes you'd like to see from your listener mail segment. Besides that, I'm curious whether either of you have ever explicitly heard of the term vulgar auteurism. I listened to the Stax episode on Dread 3D, and the film Gamer was mentioned as a film neither Stephen or Jack had seen. Its directors, Mark Neveldean and Brian Taylor, were written about as vulgar auteurs. 
According to Wikipedia, the term remained obscure until the publication of an article in the Village Voice on May 24, 2013. However, I think it's more true to say that it was around that time that the term became defunct. I think the concept was necessarily pre-Marvel Phase 2. How vulgar can this endless horizon of PG-13 content be? (laughs) Um, Paul W.S. Anderson, who mainly made the Resident Evil films, was a favorite of the vulgar auteurist critics. He had a lot of control over that franchise, and these critics assert that his films aren't hack jobs, nor necessarily are a lot of other contemporary mainstream action and horror movies. But you wouldn't know that if you just listened to the judgments of the mainstream weekly reviewers. I thought it would be interesting to just bring this decade-old area of film criticism up to you two because you're true habitual cinema-goers and give contemporary genre cinema a fair shot. And I suppose Mm, the term vulgar auteurism was just a kind of pretentious film nerd advocacy for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, I would agree. And I, I quite like those Resident Evil movies. I mean, a lot of them are bad, but I, I, I do enjoy them. <laughs> um, but is the director of the Resident Evil films really not a hack, though? What about Len Wiseman, then, of Underworld, Die Hard 4, and the Total Recall <laughs> remake, who didn't receive a reappraisal? This brings mm. me to... There already was an Omen remake. It came out in 2006. I saw it, but remember virtually nothing about it. (laughs) I think it's very faithful and by the numbers. I remember the DVD extras better because the director is Irish and he discusses how easy horror is to make because jump scares work every time. There's also that really... There's that good... um, There's that really good one that came out on Amazon, wasn't there? I feel like you're... Oh... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. That was the series Good Omen. Sorry. I was I was like, oh my god. <laughs> anyway, uh, is that what you'd call a hack? He's the director then of Die Hard Five, which has a notorious reputation as pure trash, but had a good trailer. Then mm. there was a film that said to be pretty close to a new bringing out the dead in competition at this year's Cannes. It's Ooh. called Black Flies. His last film I hadn't seen myself. Haven't seen myself, but was suggest you look into. It's called A Prayer Before Dawn. It's supposedly a brutally serious, Brit-banged-up-abroad scenario about Muay Thai in a Thai prison. That sounds great. I'm all for it. Yeah. Another recommendation, the most vulgar auteur, Paolo Sorrentino. I've only actually seen the first 40 minutes of The Great Beauty, but some of his other films shouldn't be slept on. Berlusconi recently died. I would suggest having a look at Loro. <laughs> I think it's a masterpiece. Thanks for hearing me out. All the best. I watched two Palace Arantina movies and I think they both sucked. I dislike that. <laughs> I have not seen any, um, but would I'd like watch. to. It's like, what if Fellini was bad? <laughs> um, to answer your question, though, yes, I have, have definitely heard yeah. vulgar auteurism before. I learned I, that from the film, lads. Yes, I was going to. That was exactly what I was going to mention. If you are interested at all in listening to Jack and I interview the film lads um, who are three guys who made an in- the independent film the lad goodbye um yeah I was... and high lad which is based and on that high awesome lad. movie high mom <laughs> um but they talked a lot about vulgar auteurism and being kind of inspired by that movement of kind of reclaiming popular cinema which yeah. I'm, I'm i'm kind of all for it you know i i think that hmm. and i think this can kind of circle back to some stuff we were talking about earlier because i think that it kind of just goes to show that if you've got the right audience and people invested enough in it, I think you can kind of quote unquote reclaim anything. Um, <laughs> and not that, not that in a bad way necessarily. Like yeah, I think no, if, yeah, yeah. if, if people are, are interested in taking something and giving it their own kind of fair shake and, and ex- expounding on why they think it is worthwhile and great, then I think we have, should have more people that are doing that. I think that yeah. there is, I've seen a, a pretty large movement recently because of the new Indiana Jones of people going back to Crystal Skull and 
kind of reappraising it in that same way and being like, oh, Crystal Skull's kind of great. I don't agree, but I am all for no, people like not, finding but, yeah. finding things to enjoy about that stuff. Yeah, so Calvin um, of this parish um, made the point on the Twin Geeks podcast, the last episode that was released as of this recording, where he said a very simple truism. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. It's like, I like a good film in every genre, was pretty much what he said. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. If the, every genre, you can make good stuff in it. Of that sense of there's you you can make good anywhere and there are great movies in overlooked um, yeah, derided absolutely. places um popular cinema can be awesome yeah and i haven't finished them but i also do like those those resident evil movies quite a bit the few that i've seen like fun. they are just like itchy I, scratchy tasty i like yeah i like paul ws anderson because he just like makes things with such an energy he made that like the second best tar film <laughs> always on this i wonder at what point is anyone gonna have any idea what you're talking about i'm not wrong no, I'm no not you're wrong. not you're not wrong um but yeah he's just like he just likes making movies and he's got an energy to it and i i like he likes his them. wife a lot and i you know you know what i'm all about it you know vaughn's a wife guy and he yeah, he's <laughs> is that what i am are you not <laughs> uh, but thank you for writing in lorcan always a pleasure to see your emails mm. uh, so moving on we have an email from murph <laughs> get put in the museum spoilers it's murph i read this <laughs> i read the synopsis for indy 5 the other day and reading that final oh God, act bad. had me like insert picture of luigi begrudgingly looking at a cell phone <laughs> um, <laughs> back in middle school i read some of the indiana jones prequel novels because of course i did <laughs> of course you did <laughs> and i remember them being terrible that's neither here nor there but i've always felt that despite his inspiration from pulp serials Indiana Jones has never worked as a serialized character, at least for me. Mm. I think you can only have your main character find out magic is real so many times. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the format of just it's, give it's him... It's a bit weird where they're like surprised right. by personality <laughs> of the third film. Like, you, you have the Ark of the Covenant, my <laughs> man. Uh, the format of just give him a new artifact slash culture to interact with has never gotten me that excited when it comes to sequel, <laughs> prequel, game pitches for the series. Not in the same way mm. that derivatives like Tomb Raider and Uncharted do, but I guess those are video games and a movie uh yeah but let's say <clears> both movies, of those yeah. movies anyway did you know that wes anderson is 54 now with auteurs like that i always wonder when and why they'll pause, retire pause okay pause, pausing. pause how old is samuel jackson are you asking me that like i know that yes, off the top of my you. head i'm gonna guess he's in his don't look it up don't look it up tell me i'm gonna guess that samuel jackson is 72 awesome look it up Seventy four. Seventy four. I was almost there. I was. I was, I was close. Yeah, it's, it's it's less impressive because like he doesn't. You know what? <laughs> How like, far off did you think I was going to be? Damn right. But like Samuel Jackson, seventy four. I know. Damn. I agree. It's pretty impressive. Damn. He's killing it. Well, yeah. Um, was that was all you wanted to pause for? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, in general, do you prefer filmmakers go out on some sort of opus and retire, regardless of age? Or just keep making films till they die regardless of quality. I suppose there's a third option that they make a film that bombs and tanks their career and they can't make films anymore. But let's not dwell on that. This email will not right. self-destruct in five seconds, I <laughs> promise. <laughs> um, here's my answer. I am compelled to watch entire filmographies. So I prefer that they go out on a banger rather than keep making bad films forever. Because I will keep watching them. Hmm. I disagree. <laughs> I, because on one hand, I, I agree in the sense that I also like to complete filmographies. And so when there is like 
a bunch of stuff that hits a point of just like this is not very good it's kind of like oh well this isn't going to be fun to go through but i also like yes thank you mr argento apparently you gave up on making good movies a while ago <laughs> hey dark glasses is pretty good actually true dark um, glasses is quite good but i mean that's kind of exactly what i think is like i think directors should just make whatever they want to make Direct. until they they can't and wow even during the strike wow you scab <laughs> yes that's exactly what i'm saying even during the strike <laughs> um no but like i i think i i weirdly appreciate when like maybe a director does have a few early masterpieces and then kind of falls out of that but yeah i, I don't know right. to me i just appreciate like you know what they're gonna keep doing it i i think that it's silly to expect any one director to only have a a filmography full of gems i think it's stupid that yes. quentin tarantino has I, determined that he has a specific point that he's going out on fine if that's what he wants to do but it's so arbitrary also to he me. lied about that he he he's already made 10 movies he's just disavowed one of them well yeah that's also that's also a good point like, yeah if we like we can all disavow movies and claim <laughs> we've done a thing but uh, yeah I, i've always thought that that thing of just like i'm going to make 10 movies and then i'll be done forever i'm just like yeah but, you did it already but why i'm just like you there's no reason to stop making movies unless you yeah. don't if you don't have any ideas and you don't want to make anything else that's one thing but to just put down your foot and be like i'm done because i want to go out on a high note is like why not why not keep swinging if you can I do agree. The most interesting filmography is the ones that have the the reach in it, and that's why I'm glad to plug the Moton cast that I did not like the new Moton movie mm. at all. I thought it was actively bad, but I'm glad that it exists right. because they really went for something there, and that makes the filmography more interesting. Because Magic Spot, I think, is brilliant, but I know they could do that. Yeah, um, that's yeah, them I doing think, things they're good at doing. I think if there's an expectation of like going out on top, I think then you just put so much pressure on directors to like have to choose when they're going to stop and then they have to have this 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 needless pressure of this has to be a certain quality or yeah. whatever and it's just like i if you want to try and keep making stuff you should try and keep making stuff even if it's not even if it's not good that's fine yeah I'm we can't we can't all have like the filmography of charles larson for example that's true only he can yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna let that joke go right over my head he made, okay, that's, that's, he made one movie. He made one movie. It's, it's Night of the Hunter and it's, it's, <laughs> okay. it's absolutely fabulous. So, Lawton, sorry. Maybe because I said Lawton rather than Lawton. Maybe you got it that time. Um, but let's continue with uh, our correspondence. Mm -hmm. we, have, we have more than usual, so I've got to, we got to get through it. Um, yeah. So I can go watch a movie that you like a lot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, our friend Bravo asked us for our top three <gasps> of like all him. of these respective films that we have Easy. on this episode. Easy. So, our top three Wes Anderson, our top three Indiana Jones, and our top three Mission Impossibles. So, I guess let's it's go in easy. order of we're discussion. All gonna, we're all, we're all going to agree because this is an obvious one. Um, so, Indiana Jones. So, Indiana Jones. Lost Crusade's the best. Continue with your top three. Raiders of the Lost Ark is the second best. Yeah. Then there's okay. a big gap. Okay. And then I guess Temple of Doom. Okay. <laughs> so for me, I mean, I haven't, like I said at the beginning, I've only rewatched Raiders recently. So for me, it is Raiders number one. Great choice. One of the best. Great choice. Um, it's, it's and then Last Crusade and then Temple of Doom, which I also have not seen in a very long time. Yeah. So I would like to revisit those some, if somewhat soon. Was, was funnier. What if it was funnier? What if? What if, Stephen? I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know. <laughs> it's, very, it's very funny. In memory, I like Temple of Doom, but I uh, mm. I can imagine that I will probably watch it and go, yeah, this is pretty racist. 
Um, it's pretty racist, and a lot of people want to make the point, and I get that being like it's pretty racist, but there's outside of that, it's really good. Yeah. Outside of that, I find it a bit boring. Um, mm, okay. I'm not not crazy about it. Eh, so it's kind of like racist and a bit. Eh, so eh. yeah, fair enough. But it's still better. It's still better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Obviously, um, the, the beginning of of Temple of Doom is fabulous. That opening scene is absolutely incredible, and then from that point onwards, it's been like eh. okay. So I'm curious. I'm curious if we will have completely different top three West Anderson's. Oh yeah, it's going to be complete. Com- from now on, we're completely different. Okay. Um, Wes Anderson is re- the first two, easy. Um, his best film was Life Aquatic. His second best film was Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. And his third best film will change depending on the day. Okay. Today, okay. I'm going to say Moonrise Kingdom. Wow, we are closer than I thought we were going to be. I could have said Grand Budapest. I could have said Tenenbaums. Okay. So my top three, uh, obviously, Grand Budapest Hotel is one of my favorite films of all time. Easily my favorite. Okay, it's, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not in his top three, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is um, three. I don't know. That, uh, Moonrise Kingdom is so good, though. But then, yes, number two for me is Moonrise Kingdom, which I just absolutely mm-hmm. love. Uh, and then Mr. Number Mr. Three, number three is Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox, which I have just, you I seen the Life Aquatic of Steve Zissou? Yeah, of course. I, I've seen every Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. I just no, have you have you have you seen it? <laughs> You're just wondering if I've watched I mean, it enough to, to put it at number one. You've you've watched it, but have you seen it? I love Life Aquatic. It's it's yeah. I'm not saying it's not good. Do you think he remembers me? No. No. Oh. <laughs> how how much of a fan are you of Portuguese covers of David Bowie songs? Yeah, I've got nothing there, Stephen. Oh, that might surprise you. Yeah, because that it's a good those Sir George Portuguese versions of, oh, okay. of Dead Bow Songs. Gotcha. It's great. Um, it's great. I, I have been meaning to rewatch uh, Life Aquatic because I know you love it a lot and it's been oh, a couple so years good. now. But yeah. I do love Life Aquatic. But yeah, that, that is my, so my top three yeah. West. So then, Stephen, your top three Mission Impossible films. Well, like everyone. I'm sure this is not going to be everyone. Because well, uh, I'm correct here. Do we <laughs> go up from three or do we go one first? Let's go one go first. On. That's what we've been doing, so... Alright, the best movie, Measurable 1. Okay. It's the best movie in the franchise. The second best, Measurable 7, obviously. Okay. The third best, Mission Impossible 2, obviously. I respect that a lot. Mission Impossible 2 is great. That is also one that I revisited recently after becoming a huge John Woo fan. I can do the I rest like, if you want. This one I, can, I can do the rest. I can keep going. Uh, no, because we're on limited time. Then it's then it's 6. Nope, we don't need to... Then 5 and 4 are the same movie. Okay, and then you then don't like 3. three. Okay, well then... I'm only going to give my top three because that's all that was asked for. Um, and I also One, don't... Two, three. <laughs> I don't totally trust my own uh, ranking past that because I haven't seen a lot of them in a while as well. Uh, I want to revisit them. You can borrow mine, um, it's fine. So easily, my favorite is Fallout. It is my favorite Mission Impossible. Is that the first film? Uh, no. Number two. Oh, but that one's better. My, number, my second favorite is the original Mission Impossible, which is great. Okay. I love Mission Impossible. Yeah. Uh, and then that's number good. three would be Dead Reckoning Part One, Okay. which is also great. Okay. That is my top three Mission Impossibles, and that is all of our, all of our top threes mm. for that one. Mm. So then, I have one final question from our good friend Cody, who has written in. Yes, and yes. they write, "Quick question for the podcast: Anderson films oh, yeah? tend I'm to quick. be defined by color palettes. What col- which Anderson? Wes Anderson. I thought Paul W.S. <laughs> what color? What I can't speak." What colors dominate Asteroid City, and what would be the perfect dominating color scheme for any movie that you made? 
Also, what state would be a more appropriate name for Indiana Jones? I never thought he looked like an Indiana <laughs> personally. <laughs> Which is an excellent question. I mean, the only the only answer is Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas Jones. <laughs> yeah. What about Massachusetts Jones? That's also pretty good. <laughs> those, those are the two. <laughs> there you go. You got two options. Yeah. That'll, that'll be how we reboot uh, the, the franchise sorry. with Arkansas Jones. I like how much that that caught Stephen off guard. <laughs> that was so bad. Some of the questions I've heard before, that one I hadn't heard. It was just very, very funny. Very good question. Thank you, Cody. Yeah. Um, um, but Asteroid City, uh, does very... Uh, yellowy, orange, and green? Yeah, I would say like yellow and, and blue. It's got that very like that yeah, that, like teal, yeah, a teal, teal, color, teal skyline yeah. kind of thing in the yeah. in there, which is which is excellent. But I'm yeah. curious how you would answer. What would your probably color if I made a movie? It probably re- I probably make a really racist movie. Okay, um, so great I'd start. Use the the <laughs> use the orange filter. For oh my orange. god! <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I'm cutting this out of the podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably like a cool, probably like a cool blue tones. Cool blue tones. Okay. Yeah. Because it'd be cold and <clears throat> clinical. Really, a Stephen movie would be very cold and clinical. Yeah, I think so. Like okay. a Michael Haneke movie. <laughs> well, okay, I can I can see that. Yeah. Um, I think if anyone that knows me probably can would would probably know the answer to this. I think it would be very uh, pastel pink and blue would be my my color scheme. Yeah. Guess that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that would be my answer for that one. So thank you for that question, Cody. Yeah. Thank you, um, Arkansas Jones. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Arkansas Jones. I need you. Can you? I'm gonna request Stephen on the podcast right now after this if you can change Cody's nickname and the Twin Geeks to Arkansas Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so then, yeah. uh, let's quickly get some recommendations in before we sign yeah. off for this week. So, you go first because I've got one. And you know what? This is just crazy because I don't this week. And I was actually looking through my diary and I just I had a few options, but I was like, I don't know. And I didn't know if maybe the podcast would help me find an answer if there was like a vibe. Uh, and there wasn't really. <laughs> um, so I don't have I didn't I didn't have anything that specifically came to mind. But you know what? I will recommend 2004's Born to Fight, um, which is a I was sure you're going to go for a Jason Bourne movie there. Like the Born Ultimatum. The Born Ultimatum. I do like the Born Ultimatum. Um, but no, uh, this is a Thai action film um, that I think kind of goes along with uh, the discussion of just practical stunts in Mission Impossible. Um, oh. This is about a little village in Thailand that gets um, kind of, in, the whole village kind of gets taken hostage by like a terrorist cell, and then the village has to kind of rise up and fight back. And there is just absolutely stunning phenomenal fight and action sequences in this movie Mm. and it is my favorite kind of like action martial arts movie where one the whole time you're watching it you go how in the world did they do that and then bonus at the end you get the the credits stunt reel and you just go oh they just did that (laughs) a guy (laughs) a guy just jumped off of a moving truck and hit another moving truck and it looks extremely painful (laughs) it's just it's just rad yeah very very good uh, highly recommend yeah. Born to Fight. I'm going to recommend a, a similar kind of like 
real fun, great time, absolute banger of a movie. Um, Boy, Stephen warned me about this one. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Threads <laughs> from 1984. Literally 1984. Um, the movie Threads right. is a movie I've wanted to watch for a long time and have been putting off because it looked unbelievably depressing. It's unbelievably depressing. Um, really, really good. Awesome movie. Um, absolute banger. Um, will make you feel hella sad. Um, set in Sheffield, focusing on working class community, um, very much this idea of conservative um, Tory Britain, mm. and then what if a bomb got dropped on that and a nuclear bomb? Um, I think why it works is because the first hour of it is like kind of like mm, Ken Loachy social realism okay. or like kitchen sink social realism. Yeah, of yeah. These these people this is what it's like, and it shows that they're a part of society. The argument at the beginning, and it's 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 presented like a documentary because there you get. But then it's not. So there are documentary-esque elements of it. There's a bit of voiceover, a bit of interstitial okay. moments, but then it's just a bit realist, um, which is which works very nicely. And you watch these characters have their struggles, and it feels a bit trite, but it does make the second half work better because you are emotionally invested. Right. Or at least, even if you're emotionally invested, you know them as people, you know what they've been gone through. And the, the statement at the beginning, why it's called Threads, is any kind of like society at the moment is about threads between people is what keeps it together. Right. It's the, the interpersonal connections. And the whole idea is if you drop a bomb on that, then that all, all breaks apart. Um, and the second half of it is a excruciatingly detailed and thought out presentation of what would happen if mm. there was a nuclear bomb. And at the time, this is the height of the Cold War, towards the end, arguably, but that's therefore at the, arguably at the height. Um, so this is a very live problem. And I think the second half is, is obviously harrowing. Um, there are points that it doesn't feel like as well researched. It feels hyperbolized, mm. but it works for the film. There's a person that just like just gives birth out there in a way that seems really kind of ridiculous, oh, okay. but is a good way of exploring what would it mean to give birth. Right. Um, and it, it, it's got those ideas and it doesn't feel completely scientific, but it feels very anthropological, very sociological yeah. of what would happen and how would power work and what people do. There's really upsetting but very prescient and telling bits of characters being like well if they're not working they don't get food um and you know if they die that's going to help us anyway right. so when we give them food it's the idea for there's not much limited food so the more they die the more it helps us because like so coldly pragmatic the makeup stuff is very very good it's a very shocking watch i think it works really well now very depressingly because the first half reminds you if you live in this country and maybe to the same extent in the US but really of you're seeing British politics and you look at it now and you go at the moment we're in a quite similar state mm, yeah. very specific state of economic hardship and industrial hardship that we were and it's it's quite fortuitous to watch it in 2023 bad I mean fortuitous is the wrong word but it feels like we are in that period of like right. real horrendous Tory oppression of just destroying the country um, and we also feel like we're in that moment of because of the war in Ukraine, yeah. the the the, the spectre of nuclear war is is invoked every now and then. So it 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 feels like we are still in this very fragile world of interconnected threads that could get torn apart. And the yeah, argument the sure. film makes is those that are already frayed and barely made are those that will get torn and destroyed first. And that's really impactful. I don't think it's a perfect film. I think it's over long, but I don't think that matters because it is only interested in showing this could happen and it's horrible. Let's get rid of all of these things. We need to completely disarm, um, which obviously I very much believe in yeah. strongly that for a long time. And I guess I'm very, we'll talk, we will talk about Oppenheimer. We definitely will. Yeah. And I'll mention this in Oppenheimer. The most impactful place I've ever been to is Hiroshima. 100%. Okay. And I was already ardently anti-nuclear and 
even that shifted the way that I felt about that moment. And I even let podcast talk about the ending. Here's a, here's a tease for you. The ending of J.G. Ballard's book, um, Empire of the Sun. So J.G. Ballard, who wrote Empire of the Sun, made into a spoiler movie. He also wrote the book Crash, which okay. is the movie yeah, of. Yeah. Um, and he wrote High Rise, um, okay. one of my favourite writers. Exceptional, exceptional writer. He was in a prisoner of war camp. Um, and from a prisoner of war camp in... I forget where, I want to say it was like the east coast of China, it may have been South Korea, apologies, I'm not sure, but it was somewhere where, from that prison of war camp, he saw Hiroshima happen, as in on the horizon, and felt it. And he writes something in that book that's very powerful, but I fundamentally disagree with. But it's his right to sell that thing as he lived through it. And we'll grapple with that on the Oppenheim podcast. We get to that. So, bam. Hopefully, if we can find time to... uh... I guess both for you to see them and for us to have yes. time to talk about them. Hopefully that'll be our next yeah, yeah. episode. And we'll see. Yeah. Oppenheimer and Barbenheimer. Yes, exactly. Um, well then, Stephen, before we sign off, mm. do you have anything that you want to plug, promote, talk about? Yeah, Mission Impossible, um, Mission Colon Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. It's really good. You may not think it's going to be good because Fallout wasn't that good, but it's great. Go watch it. That's definitely what everyone... Everyone everyone in the audience definitely agrees with that. <laughs> you may be like, ah, this Fallout movie. Uh, you know, I prefer the video game. <laughs> um, well, I don't think I have anything uh, specific to plug at the moment. I know you guys are about to record some Motrin cast stuff, so make sure to go and check that out mm, if you are interested. It's a good dog. <laughs> the continuance of the, the Motrin cast. But... I like this dog. And I like cookie flakes. And there's just a preview of Steven's Boston Johnny That's a pretty good Boston Johnny, isn't it? It's pretty good. It's, it's not pretty bad. good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is good. I like it. And I'm sure you can get a lot more of that on <laughs> on the upcoming Modern Cast episode. Yeah. If you don't like that, don't watch that movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that's, that's good advice, Steven. Well, mm. we'll be back in two weeks, but for now, I'm thinking of ending this podcast. Very good. Very good.